Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this first part of the broadcast might as well be called What Wasn't Said. As a matter of fact, it's going to be called that. Unless I hear... No, I don't. Uh, What Wasn't Said. So, uh, taking the Sunday morning yak shows for a uh, an example a lot of talk about the uh, guy who flew his uh gyro what is it gyrocopter is that what it was yeah i think it was into uh, the capitol this week at the grounds of the united states capitol through the supposedly best defended airspace on the planet outside outside the kremlin i would assume uh, what wasn't said, there was a lot of criticism of, of how this happened, but what wasn't said is this from the Baltimore Sun. White balloons floating above Aberdeen Proving Ground were launched at Christmas time, and defense officials said they would be a useful tool to detect unusual activity in Washington's sensitive airspace. So when that uh, flight occurred this week to protest money and politics, did those balloons send warnings flashing across the screens of, screens of watching military officers? No, says a spokesman for the North American Aerospace Defense Command. The balloons, which are known as the Joint Land Attack Cruise Missile Defense Elevated Netted Sensor System, well, they got too many name, too many words in the name. It can't work. Or J-Lens. Oh, thank you. Doing J-Lens. They're designed to help officials spot low-flying, slow-moving targets like the gyrocopter, said the spokesman. But, oh, they are. But currently, they're not sending data into the air defense systems of our nation's capital. And the spokesman said he did not know whether the balloon's sophisticated radars were even on at the time of the flight. Well, why would you turn them on? We didn't know the guy was coming. Even if it had been on, the data is only being sent to people testing the system, and they might not have been on the lookout for a 61-year-old man in a gyrocopter. The j system, which can watch the skies for hundreds of miles in every direction, launched in December in addition to slow-moving targets. The 80-yard-long balloons are designed to help the military spot cruise missiles. Be sure to let them know before you launch a cruise missile to turn the radar on, would you? Thank you so much. Didn't hear that talked about at all on the side. And, of course, this is the fifth anniversary of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. ABC actually sent a, quote, reporter, unquote, to uh, deal with the question of, so how's the coast doing, the Gulf Coast, five years later? Here's what was not said in that report. This, from the New Orleans Times-Picayune and their... uh, Excellent reporter, Mark Schlefstein. A snow-like mix of mucus, oil, oil residue, and phytoplankton is still covering 1,200 square miles of the Gulf's floor, an area roughly seven times the size of the city of New Orleans, just a bit smaller than the state of Rhode Island. Imagine Rhode Island covered in mucus. I... Marine biologist Samantha Joy calls this new kind of sedimentation a marine blizzard that continues to threaten life forms in the frigid deep gulf. 
quote, when this stuff fell onto the seabed, it was a blizzard that buried anything that could not get out of its way, Joyce said. New research also indicates that the sediment doesn't stay in place. Deep water currents are moving it around, she said, along with some toxic components remaining from the oil. The creation of the snow was a complex but quick process, said Joy, a professor of biochemistry at the University of Georgia. She also does microbial ecology. It's a twofer. Microorganisms that degraded oil in the Gulf produced surfactants that emulsified the oil, making it very sticky, she said. Phytoplankton and clay particles floating in the water stuck to that surfactant, and the heavy combination sank like a stone. She said some microorganisms secrete mucus to get the oil off their surface, and that sticky combination also sank to the seafloor. Deepwater coral and myofauna, small invertebrate creatures, suffered death and damage when they couldn't escape the blizzard coming down on them. That damage hurt the rest of the ecosystem. Quote, the, people that people, the thing that people don't understand is that this ocean is implicitly linked from top to bottom, a breathing functional system, she said. The deep sea fills a whole series of ecological services for the entire ecosystem including taking organic carbon and nutrients out of water and turning them into hard minerals, which can slowly be released back into the deep water over time. What that rapid, massive sedimentation does was strip an enormous amount of material out of the water column and deposit it to the bottom, she said. That's a short circuit in the connectivity between the surface and the ocean's water column and the seabed. We don't know when that connectivity will be repaired, but it's not happening now. The snow and actual droplets of oil that sank to the seafloor make up what university scientists in October called a bathtub ring of material from the spill. Researchers with UC Santa Barbara, UC Irvine, and Woods Hole tested more than 3,000 sediment uh, samples from more than 500 locations for the chemical hepane found in BP's crude oil released from Macondo. The problem with the sticky mix is not only that it suffocates life forms, She said the BP oil droplets also still contain tiny amounts of toxic polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs. If exposed to air at the ocean's surface or onshore, those chemicals might quickly evaporate or decompose. But a mile below the Gulf surface, where there's low light, cold temperatures, and limited oxygen, the PAHs are surviving. There seems to be something about the matrix that is not amenable to microbial oxidation, she said. We have yet to come up with a good explanation about why it isn't degrading. And five years after the spill, deepwater coral continues to be uh, uh, affected, documenting her project his more limb loss and mortality among the coral. Wasn't anything said about that on ABC? Would that be because BP bought commercials on the Sunday Yak shows? (laughs) Please, you with your cynicism. And we're hearing also so much about the presidential campaign already? Yeah. So, you know, the constant refrain among those who affect a serious mean is, why would, well, let's, let's hear more about the issues. Well, the Republicans and Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and um, Michael O'Malley are talking about the economy and Iran and What's the what's an issue? What's a nice issue to talk about that is not being mentioned? What isn't being said? This from Reuters, which has just done a big series of investigative pieces on the looming problems for America's coasts. Quote, the United States lacks a unified national response to the threat posed by rising sea levels. 
The policy vacuum leaves vulnerable communities to come up with their own self-defense plans and then hope to snag federal dollars before the next big storm. Uh, unquote. We in, here in New Orleans have been talking about this ever since the thing in 2005, uh, which was a warning signal of what was happening to the Louisiana coast. Uh, Reuters' piece includes information on the Houston-Galveston area, which suffered severely during Hurricane Ike and where some folks want to build a so-called Ike Dike to prevent the uh, storm surge from inundating Galveston and Houston again. Same problem. No money. Quote, quoting Reuters again, without some sort of national perspective on this, it pits part of, parts of the country against each other, and Houston is stuck right in the middle of it. According to a marine scientist at University of North Carolina, chairman of the National Research Council panel on coastal risk, the panel says U.S. government agencies have, quote, no central leadership or unified vision on reducing coastal risk, a failure that extends even to towns that are literally washing into the sea. <laughs> Candidates could talk about that, couldn't they? This is what's not being said. By the way, just to quantify it, Reuters says there's at now at least $1.4 trillion in property within 660 feet of the U.S. coast. According to a detailed analysis of the data by Reuters, incomplete data for some areas means the actual total is probably much higher. So let's say $2 trillion could go down the drain. But uh, let's talk about Iran, shall we? Hello. Welcome to the show. Talk of all the things we did today here and laugh about our funny little ways while we have a few minutes to breathe. And I know that it's time you must leave, but darling, be home soon. I couldn't bear to wait an extra minute. My darling, be home soon It's not just these few hours But I've been waiting since I toddled For the great relief of having you to talk to And now A quarter of my life is almost past I think I come to see myself at last And I see that the time spent confused Was the time that I spent without you And I feel myself in blue So darling, be home soon I couldn't bear to wait an extra minute If you got My darling, be home soon It's not just these few hours, but I've been waiting since I toddled For the great relief of having you to talk to
Engineering by the legendary engineer, Pop Filter. From New Orleans, Louisiana, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, the, uh, the news has been full of stories, I think you've noticed them, about the tons, 30 tons in, in one, in one um, result, being skimmed off the surface of Guanabara Bay in Rio, site of the sailing t- uh, competition in next year's Olympics. They're uh, skimming a lot of dead fish out of Guanabara, uh, off the top of Guanabara Bay. The uh, governor blames it on rising uh, water temperature, inducing hypoxia in the water, which kills the fish. But uh, others say it's the damn pollution that they haven't yet cleaned up. And uh, according to officials of Rio, will not clean up in time for the Olympic Games. Dead fish sailing straight ahead. Meanwhile, in Boston, the city uh, has hired an analyst to examine Boston's bid for the 2024 Summer Olympics. She's from Goldman Sachs. She's the newly named executive director of the newly established Office of Olympic Planning. She, uh, The mayor said, Her job will be to build a bridge between the city's planning and development efforts and the development of the Olympic bid proposal. Her top priority will be to ensure that Boston will benefit in the long term from holding the Games and that any planning efforts are in line with the city's overall goals, said the mayor. All costs with the new office will be reimbursed to the city by Boston 2024, the private organization in charge of the bid. This comes on the heels of another poll that found support for bringing the Olympics to Boston had bounced back slightly in April after months of decline. The city's Olympic bid has been under increased scrutiny in recent months after the high salaries of people who work at Boston 2024 were released and a brutal winter season left many questioning 
Whether the city's infrastructure and ability to handle such an event was up to snuff, especially since the Metropolitan Boston Transportation Authority had a big meltdown during the winter. But of course, these games are in the summer. After the poll, this most recent poll came out, Boston 2024 says it will support a statewide referendum throughout Massachusetts on bringing the Olympic Games to Boston. That sounds fair. In the most recent poll, 90% of poll respondents believe it is likely the Games will cost, quote, much more, unquote, than currently estimated. That you can take out of the bank. Previously, this new um, hire worked as an associate in the Urban Investment Group at Goldman Sachs. She holds a master's degree in urban planning from Harvard. So at least she knows where to find the, uh, the subway. The Olympics. It's a movement. Aided and abetted by Goldman Sachs. And everybody needs one. We all do. Every day. Well, now, ladies and gentlemen, some information on our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Saudi Arabia. What are they up to? A Sydney, Australia grandfather was jailed alongside murderers and given the lash, you see, after being caught with home-brewed alcohol. And he's now been told he can't leave the country. They like him so much. Peter Mutty, 57 years old from Sydney's inner south, has been forced to sell his home to cover costs while he remains trapped in limbo in the Gulf state, unable to work, of course. The Australian embassy has been absolutely no help and did not even come to see me until I'd been in jail for five weeks, he told the uh, Daily Telegraph of Australia. Everybody's got a Daily Telegraph except us. What's with that? Muddy was working in Al-Kobar, four hours outside the capital of Kobar, uh, outside the capital of Riyadh, when he was caught with two cartons of home-brewed light beer. Wow. I mean, if you're going to homebrew something, you know, you know what I'm saying? Light beer? You got to homebrew light beer? I know they can't, you can't get anything, in, but homebrew beer and then put water in it. Uh, and two cases of homemade red and white wine in his car. I knew it was wrong and I made no attempt to hide the fact I was guilty, said Muddy, who has daughters and grandchildren in Australia. Other expats from Australia who've been caught with alcohol have been expelled from Saudi Arabia within 48 hours. But Muddy received six months in the notorious Fukba prison. Quote, it was terrible. It was everything you imagined it would be. I was held with rapists, murderers, and killers, he said. Despite a reassurance from the Australian embassy that he would not receive the lash, he, a manager of an engineering company, was stood against a wall and given 28 strokes of the cane before being released about a month ago. But because my case has not been finalized, he says, I'm trapped in Saudi Arabia. I can't work and I can't leave. <laughs> here's, here's a good Australian expression for you, says Mr. Muddy. I'm trapped in limbo and have not earned a brass razoo in six months. A brass razoo. The last Australian man known to have been caned or whipped in Saudi Arabia was, uh, this was uh, Mansour Al-Maribe. 
from Victorian Australia, in 2012, he received 75 lashes for blasphemy before being released from prison and flown home with a royal pardon. A spokeswoman for human rights group Amnesty International says floggings and amputations are common in the Saudi justice system. Amnesty can now offer little support to people caught up in that system because they love freedom just so much. Don't you get it? Don't you see? Our friend in Saudi Arabia. And now, ladies and gentlemen... News of the Godly. Well, we're back in Australia for this. There's, you know, there's an ongoing inquiry uh, in Australia about uh, what they call in Britain historical child sex abuse allegations. A Catholic priest at the notorious Near Call Orphanage in central Queensland brutally abused boys as young as nine and told his victims they would go to hell if they spoke out. That commission has heard. Three former residents of the orphanage told the inquiry that uh, resident priest Father John Anderson regularly molested or raped them during their time there. 76-year-old David Owen said the now-deceased priest began molesting him after he became an altar boy at age nine. The abuse quickly escalated to the point where the priest was raping him up to two times a week, continuing over a period of two years. He liked the number two. What are you going to do? I was told by Father Anderson it was not a sin for a child to have impurity with a priest, but it was a mortal sin to tell anybody about it, and if I did so, I would go to hell, Owen told the commission. He said he was punished by the nuns who ran the orphanage when he complained of the behavior, and that an inspector from the state children's department also turned a blind eye. The inspector said he knew Father Anderson was abusing me, but I wasn't to tell anyone, and if I was caught bleeding, I was to say it was piles. He also said when he threatened to go to the authorities, he... uh, He was threatened with uh, finding a bullet in his mailbox. Another woman said uh, another priest, Father Reginald Durham, began kissing her and touching her inappropriately on her 12th birthday. He was sentenced to 18 months in jail in 1999 for indecently dealing with a different child at this same facility, but was declared mentally unfit to face further charges. She was also caned daily and brutally by a nun at the orphanage. You stole my innocence. I will never forgive you, she said in an emotional statement to the Catholic Church. The, uh, this is a, a hearing into historical allegations of child abuse at the near-call St. Joseph's Orphanage, which was operated until 1978 by the Sisters of Mercy. Putting yourself at the mercy of people with... Yes. Um, the retired Catholic bishop of the place, or of the vicinity says he deeply regrets dismissing allegations of child sexual abuse against members of the clergy. Admits he put the reputation of the church first. Former head of the Central Queensland Diocese of Rockhampton, Brian Heenan, told that commission his response to multiple allegations of child sexual abuse against priests at the orphanage was inappropriate and wrong. He allowed a priest at the center of the allegations to continue working with children until 1996 and in a widely distributed letter described the allegations as scurrilous. Now he says, can I just say I will regret having written this letter for the rest of my days? I was reacting wrongly and in a sort of inappropriate way to a lot of very bad publicity about the orphanage, which I didn't believe was true. Asked by counsel whether he'd been more concerned with protecting the image of the church than the impact on abuse victims, Heenan replied, yes, I would have to agree. The Pope Francis effect. 
reported by the British newspaper, The Telegraph. It's been credited with encouraging resurgence in faith among rank-and-file Catholics, but it has also had a, an unexpected consequence, a boom in the demand for exorcisms. His uh, fire and brimstone language and frequent references to the devil have helped propel belief in Beelzebub back into the mainstream of the Catholic Church, where once it was an embarrassment. Diocese in the UK, Italy, and um, elsewhere, (laughs) says the Telegraph, have noticed a dramatic increase in the number of people claiming to be possessed and have responded by training more priests in the art of how to perform exorcism. Pope Francis talks about the devil all the time and has certainly raised awareness about exorcism, says Father Cesare Truqui, a Mexican priest trained as an exorcist. But all Latin Americans have this sensibility, he says. In October, the Pope commended exorcist priests for their fight against the devil's works, saying the church needed help to, to help those possessed by evil. Until a few years ago, a significant number of people in the church didn't believe in the devil, but that, that's all changed as a British exorcist priest from Birmingham, who asked not to be named because he fears the devil. A few years ago, at least half the dioceses in England and Wales did not have an exorcist. Now, pretty much all of them do. Italy has also witnessed a sharp rise in demand for exorcisms. The Diocese of Milan recently increased the number of exorcist priests from 5 to 12. Rome doubled its team of resident exorcists to 10. High school counselor told you about that job, resident exorcist. Father Truqui says symptoms include obsessive behavior. I once treated a woman who combed her hair eight hours a day and a man who was obsessed with wanking. He did it every day many times. He claimed that exorcists could discern the difference between people with medically caused problems and those possessed by the devil. Some people are mentally ill and do not need exorcism, he says, but others do, and there are classic signs. There's greater awareness of exorcism created by films such as The Right, a 2011 film starring Anthony Hopkins as a Jesuit exorcist who runs an exorcism course in Rome. Does he blow the world up? No, it's just a movie. Not a kind of movie. Uh, Father Truqui told The Independent newspaper that this week's course in exorcism, attended by exorcists, priests, and lay people, was vital in order to raise awareness and hone priests' skills in fighting evil. The uh, Milan has installed an exorcism hotline to cope with the demand. That has to tell us something, says Father Cesare. He's a protege of Father Gabriel Amorth, the Vatican's chief exorcist for 25 years, who claims to have dealt with 70,000 cases of demonic possession. That is one busy devil. He says, Father Amorth does, that the sex abuse scandals in the church were proof that the devil is at work inside the Vatican. He takes a similarly dim view of yoga. Practicing the latter, he said, was satanic. It leads to evil, just like reading Gary, uh, just like reading Harry Potter. And finally, the Vatican this week, actually a couple of weeks ago, strongly defended its appointment of a bishop in Chile despite protests by critics who have accused him of covering up sexual abuse. Juan Barros was installed on March 21st as the new bishop of Osorno, as supporters holding white balloons, well, don't trust those, 
and opponents carrying black ones shouted at each other during the ceremony in the city's cathedral. The appointment outraged some parishioners, national legislators, and abuse victims who said Barros had protected one of the nation's most notorious pedophiles, and they asked Pope Francis to rescind it. Or at least give him a good exorcism. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, for your listening pleasure. We've got the ultra-modern knack Of getting oil from the deepest crack So give the boys just a bit of slack And say a hearty what the frack What the frack? A new U.S. government report indicates that an oil and gas industry database designed to bring transparency to the controversial practice of fracking actually fails to present a complete picture of where companies get their water and which chemicals they use. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, it's utterly useful. The project database is an incomplete picture of all hydraulic fracking due to the voluntary reporting in some states for certain time periods in the absence of state reporting requirements. The Mission of Information on Confidential Business Information Ingredients from Disclosures, CBI, Confidential Business Information, and Invalid or Erroneous Information created during the development of the database, according to the EPA. This is a database called Frack Focus, which uh, aims to shed light on fracking practices. It's uh, industry-backed and states that it's used by energy companies to provide the public access to reported chemicals and by some state legislators, regulators, for oversight purposes. Frack Focus has gained new importance, but oil and gas companies have fought against pressure to release a complete list of chemicals used in their fracking cocktail. 70% of the disclosures analyzed included at least one ingredient that was claimed to be confidential business information, and 11% of the ingredient records were, were identified as those confidential business information. The EPA report also says Frack Focus doesn't say where companies get their water. Some of these terms include a condition of water quality such as fresh rather than a specific identification of the source such as groundwater or surface water. The most commonly reported source of water used for fracking was fresh. Feeling thirsty? And that is the latest thing that might make you want to say, what the frack?
From New Orleans, this is Le Show. The uh, President of the United States and uh, his supporters, not just his supporters, supporters of the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, introduced a, uh, a bill into the Congress this week that would, it's the, it's the legislative vehicle for giving the President fast-track authority. That would be that uh, he's, he's in the middle of negotiating this Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is being marketed as a trade agreement, even though it has other aspects to it as well. Eve Smith on this broadcast, whoa, last summer, talked about some of those, which include, and still do, apparently, as far as we know, because, of course, the text of the document under discussion is secret. And according to what Wiki what WikiLeaks released, or Wiki Reached, what WikiLeaks released uh, recently, it will stay secret for five years after it's enacted, just to make sure. Uh, but uh, from what we know, from what has leaked, um, among the provisions are those that would uh, allow private or, uh, organizations, mainly corporations, to sue local, state, federal governments in any of the countries that are signatory to this agreement if any law or regulation they passed um, interfered with investment-based expectations. That is to say, expectations of profit backed by, hey, I put a 1,000 into this, you, you changed the rules. And the, the uh, ruling body, when they do sue the U.S. government or California or Louisiana or your town, USA, is a um, arbitration panel, some of the uh, members of which are appointed by the companies. Now, the companies, uh, by the way, uh, Eve pointed this out last on our last uh, conversation, have been sitting in, getting briefings on these uh, ongoing negotiations, whereas other possible stakeholders, environmentalists, union leaders, citizens uh, have been shut out. So now this this uh, new piece of legislation comes up this week. Uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican of Utah, uh, worked for a long time with uh, Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, on it. And uh, Senator Wyden claims that there are a lot of provisions in this that uh, he fought for, such as uh, protections for environmental or workers' rights. Um, An analysis by Ralph Nader's uh, Public Citizen indicates some of these are more in the wish list category than uh, enforceable, and that uh, the proposal which is being brooded about in the fast-track legislation that says uh, the text of the treaty will be made public for a 60-day period before Congress votes on it. Apparently, according to their analysis, that 60-day clock starts um, after 30 days following the initialing of the agreement after which it cannot be changed. Anyway, fast-track trade authority. Basically, the, the Congress, if it passes this, says to the president, you negotiate, we will agree to not have no amendments and no discussion, but just a, a straight up-and-down vote on the treaty. And uh, the AFL-CIO has uh, announced it's going to fight it. 
because of it, their position that uh, previous trade agreements, so-called trade agreements, have resulted in massive loss of American jobs. But the uh, Republicans are lining up for it. Some Democrats will be needed, and uh, the president is already going on a nationwide campaign to promote this. You know, I know the story. Other presidents' trade deals didn't live up to the hype. You feel cheated. You may never buy another trade deal again. But guess what? Your story just got a new ending. Hi, I'm B-Rock with the best news and trade deals since the Dutch talked the Indians out of Manhattan Island. Now there's a place that offers trade deals you can live with. B-Rock's giant Giant trade trade city. city. Oh, you may think you have to pay too much to get reduced tariffs in the end of preferential markets. You may think you have to even give up your good job. But at B-Rock's giant trade city, you pay less and get more. Look at this. The Trans-Pacific Partnership. Still being negotiated and still top secret. But what if I told you it contained rock-solid worker and environmental protections? What about suggested protections? Maybe even just a study of such protections? Well, it's all right in the deal. Except for the first two. And if you own or run a company that's having problems with foreign regulators, this 21st century trade deal has got to make you smile. You get to take those job destroyers to a special tribunal that you help appoint. Sound impossible? That's what I thought until B-Rock's giant trade city put our legendary leverage to work for you. Indians trying to cancel patents on vital medicines? Hey, we're Americans. We've got centuries of experience in knowing how to deal with Indians. And with TPP from B-Rock's giant trade city, you've got Uncle Sam working for you again. But what if you're not doing business with Asia? Has Trade City got a plan for you? You better believe we do. How about this 2016 TTIP? Giving you the very same package of goodies when you open up shop in Europe. Patent protection, copyright extensions, and of course, the traditional Trade City Secrecy Pledge. We don't break the seal until you're happy with the deal. And maybe not even then. So don't wait another minute. And for sure, don't even think about it. Just get down to the big corner of Chance and Maine. That's where you'll see me and everyone else who knows a good trade deal when they can't see one. B-Rock's Giant Trade City. Deal's so good, even the showroom's a secret. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Well, sure. Clothing manufacturer Duluth Trading Company has apologized to Don Henley of the Eagles. Yeah, that Don Henley. This ends a dispute that began last fall when the Wisconsin-based company used the artist's name and fame to sell shirts without his permission. They're in Wisconsin. They're called Duluth. You can stop right there. What are they trying to pull? We'll find out in a moment. Here's what they were trying to pull. Uh, the company sent an email last uh, email ad, we like those, for a sale that read Donna Henley and Take It Easy, a reference to the Eagles' hit song. Shortly after, Henley accused the company of exploiting his fame and possibly tricking people into thinking he endorsed the shirts. He filed a lawsuit. The case was settled this week, and the company issued an apology on its website. Quote, we pushed the advertising envelope too far. We're deeply regretful, and we apologize not just to Mr. Henley, but to anyone else who took offense, unquote. Henley has never allowed his name to advertise products, according to spokesman for the artist. I know, but for maybe in Japan? Deadline Orange, New Jersey, a suspended New Jersey teacher said her third grade class asked about writing get well letters to a sick inmate convicted of killing a Philadelphia police officer, but Mary Lynn Zuniga apologized for publicizing the effort online. 
Zuniga spoke before the Orange School Board eight days, sorry, days after she was suspended with pay, after school officials learned about the letters. They were delivered to Mumia Abu-Jamal in prison following his hospitalization last month for what his family said was complications of diabetes. He's serving a life sentence for the 1981 murder. Zuniga she said she had assigned her class in February to consider the theme of a quote by Abu Shamal, so long as one person is silenced, there is no justice. In April, I mentioned to my students that Mumia was very ill. They told me they would like to write get, lo- get well letters. She told the board she made a mistake and had learned from it. She said she was prepared to resign to avoid consequences to her career if the panel decides to fire her. The board tabled the issue. And then they chaired it. Britt McHenry, a Washington, D.C.-based bureau reporter for ESPN, has been suspended one week by the network following the release of a videotape in which she's seen berating a towing company worker. I'm in the news, sweetheart, says McHenry in the video. I will effing sue this place. In what appears to be an edited tape, the woman at the towing establishment then threatens to play the video of the interaction. McHenry responds, I wouldn't work in a scumbag place like this, she says. That's all you care about, taking people's money with no education, no skill set. Just wanted to clarify that. Do you feel good about your job so I can be a college dropout and do the same thing? Maybe if I was missing some teeth, they would hire me, huh? I'm in television and you're in a trailer, honey. The video ends with McHenry telling the attendant, lose some weight, baby girl. McHenry has now released a statement on Twitter. In an intense and stressful moment, I allowed my emotions to get the best of me and said some insulting and regrettable things. As frustrated as I was, I should always choose to be respectful and take the high road. I am so sorry for my actions and will learn from this mistake, unquote. I can find out whether there's a camera rolling. By the way, let's, let's interrupt. We interrupt the apologies of the week here for a moment. Because here is what else. This, this was an incredibly talked about story this week and uh, so many people weighed in on it on the subject of McHenry's narcissism or her egotism or her sense of entitlement blah 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 all of which may be true here's what was not said and I I invite lawyers who are listening to this program to sue me no sorry Uh, I invite lawyers who are uh, listening to this program to weigh in on this because I've never gotten a straight answer on this of course, I'm asking lawyers for a straight answer. You're parked illegally, as Britt McHenry was. That is uh, a citable offense. Uh, when you receive a ticket, you are able to uh, go before a judge, if you choose, and um, contest the citation, contest the allegation that you've transgressed. But if a police officer sees your car there, and calls the tow truck, and the, and the truck comes, and it takes your car. It steals your car and puts it in, a, in an impoundment area, and you have to pay like 250 bucks to get it out. Where is the due process? Policemen can just say, you're guilty, and here's your punishment, and goodbye. Does, is that Fifth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, anybody? All right. Back to the apologies. Jefferson County, Colorado, school board member Julie Williams says she was sincerely sorry and she would remove a link on her personal Facebook page that she shared that encouraged families to keep their students home and away from perverse indoctrination of the homosexual, bisexual, transsexual agenda. To be honest with you, I didn't read the article, Williams said. I just saw it and thought I was sharing information with parents. The link was posted without comment, directing Facebook users to a newsletter published by SaveCalifornia.com. Friday was the National Day of Silence organized by 
an organization that supports lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students uh, to raise awareness about bullying. SaveCalifornia.com describes itself as a frontline pro-family leader standing strong for moral virtues for the common good. The Southern Poverty Law Center considers the organization a hate group. Williams said she was not familiar with the group and that she was rattled after learning it was recognized as a hate group. She's apologized. Dayline, Mason, Ohio. It was pitched as an event that would celebrate diversity. Students would wear a headscarf for a day to get a taste of Islamic culture. It backfired. Mason High School canceled a covered girl challenge, and Principal Mindy McCarty-Stewart sent an apology to district families. The event was meant to combat stereotypes students may face when wearing head coverings, the principal wrote. But as the event spread beyond our school community, we received many strong messages that made made me reconsider the event's ability to meet its objectives. I now realize that as adults, we should have given our students better guidance. We've canceled the event. The event was student-led rather than school-sponsored. But email promoting it came from the Student Activities Department. Covered Girl Challenge. I say just just buy the cosmetics and leave it at that. Mississippi State's at, or buy the magazine. Mississippi State's athletic director and Adidas have apologized for an obscene phrase on one of the baseball team's practice jerseys. The Bulldogs have new practice jerseys that read Viva Stark Vegas across the front. The team plays in Starkville, which is often jocularly called Stark Vegas. There are also small dots across the rest of the jerseys that spell different phrases, including one that's a profane phrase referencing rival University of Mississippi. This is completely unacceptable and does not reflect the standards and values of Mississippi State or its athletic department. For anyone who is offended by this shirt, as I was, please accept our apologies and rest assured this has been ratified, says Athletic Director Scott Strickland. Recently Strickland. There's still a Woolworths in Australia. Who knew? It's grappling with a marketing disaster after being accused of exploiting Anzac Day and the centenary of it. Grocery Giant has apologized and deleted its Anzac commemoration website, which invited users to share war tributes alongside the Woolworths logo and under the slogan, Fresh in Our Memories. A veterans organization said Woolworths had crossed the line with a campaign that was both unfortunate and insensitive. Veterans Affairs Minister Michael Ronaldson says Woolworths failed to seek the required permission to use the word Anzac. He personally intervened to end the campaign. Like many heritage Australian companies, we were marking our concern for Anzac and our veterans. We continue to be proud supporters and look forward to working with them in the future. They expressed regret for the thing. At least they're still in business. Managers of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporations knew about John Gomeshi's problematic behavior, but did a little stop it as his stardom grew as the host of the radio program Q. Now the CBC has apologized to employees who experienced inappropriate behavior in the wake of the report. The executives called the report troubling and disappointing. They sent a letter to employees which stated they will be working with the Canadian Media Guild to uh, follow the recommendations. Gomeshi was one of the network's stars. The report was commissioned after allegations he harassed people at work and complaints about him seemingly went nowhere. He was on leave and then fired after the CBC saw graphic evidence he had caused physical injury to a woman. But it apologized. The report said the CBC had a culture in which hosts of programs operated in a world of impunity. Host culture. Gee, thank goodness that doesn't happen here. And following extreme backlash over an Instagram photo of a woman whose 
rear end seemed to be peeking out of her shorts that Michael Bublé posted. The 39-year-old Canadian singer has apologized for his actions. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Happy 420, everybody.
Just before we close, news of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Just They just say, let us try. The Army Corps has consistently and sometimes drastically underestimated the cost of deepening Jacksonville, Florida's harbor over the past 50 years, according to documents obtained by the Florida Times Union. The cost sometimes ended up double or triple, was predicted, even after inflation taken into account due to environmental problems, unexpected amounts of rock beneath the river, and the difficulty of finding places to dump the dredged material. But they're trying. And the nuclear reactor ship Sturgis this week began its trip from Virginia to Galveston, Texas, where its radioactive parts will be removed for shipment to hazardous waste sites. It's the only floating nuclear power plant ever built in the United States. The nuclear fuel was removed in 1977. The Corps of Engineers has since been waiting for the radioactivity of its contaminated parts to decrease to an acceptable level for removal. Galveston city officials were furious. The only notification they received of their new visitor was an email that most of them never saw. Let us try. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The U.S. 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet. On the Mighty 104 in Berlin. And a free podcast via SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, Tune in radio. And it'd be just like getting that email from the Corps about the the new nuclear ship coming into port. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, Chappelle of the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desk. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. And me, I'm on Twitter. I'm the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station for the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.